Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting a local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 47. A conversation with Caleb Timmerman with the Southeastern Climbers Coalition and Mike Reardon with the Carolina Climbers Coalition. I hope you noticed the new sound clip there at the beginning. It's because the Climbing Advocate Podcast has recently joined the Plug Tone Audio Collective. If you're not familiar with Plug Tone, it's a network of like-minded people who are using the power of podcasting to share stories like the ones you hear on this show, so you, the listener, can learn and possibly relate to the stories being told. There are over a dozen podcasts that are a part of Plug Tone, and several that are climbing-related, some are that are not climbing-related, and probably some that you've heard of before. I'd encourage you to take a scroll through the website and Instagram page to check all of them out. I've linked up both the website and the Insta page in the show notes here for easy access. All right, on to today's episode. Just over a month ago, I had the pleasure of traveling down to Chattanooga, Tennessee to attend Access Fund's annual conference. If you're not familiar with the conference, it is a meeting of some of the greatest minds in climate advocacy from across the country and sometimes beyond. And this year was no exception. Day one was chock full of great workshops, presentations, and stories based on many different topics that are intended to help educate and inform the attendees on how to basically be successful in their advocacy endeavors. I think that this was my sixth time attending the conference, and I think this is the best one yet. They just keep getting better and better each year. Day two of the conference, attendees got to choose between four different crags to travel to, each with their own unique challenges and success stories, to hear from the advocates who were directly involved with the work there. I opted to go to a place called Castle Rock, located about 30 minutes northwest of Chattanooga, where I got to pull Caleb aside to hear some uh, some more about Castle Rock and how this place came to be. It's definitely one of the more unique success stories I've ever heard, and I'm really excited for Caleb to share it with you all. It was a really cool experience to sit down literally at the base of the cliff and talk with Caleb. You'll hear some people climbing in the background and the horn of the train nearby. It provides a bit of a nice ambiance for the conversation. Later that afternoon, we got back to Chattanooga. Mike swung by the hotel room to bring us part two of the episode. Mike has been involved with the Carolina Climbers Coalition for many years now, starting out as a volunteer, then a board member, and now serves as the first ever full-time executive director of the organization. Mike has been a big supporter of the show since the very beginning, so I was really excited to finally meet him in person and, of course, have him on as a guest. Mike and I just really rift on the numerous conservation successes that the Carolina Climbers Coalition has seen over the years in places like the legendary Laurel Knob, Rocky Fork State Park, Pumpkin Town, and their most recent acquisition with the Maybauer Boulders in North Carolina. These conversations continue to just really blow my mind each and every time. I'm continuously reminded that climbers are out there wearing their conservation hats to open new areas and make sure that they stay open by literally buying them. Climbers on the steps of Capitol Hill, and influencing policy that affects our user group, and just so much more. We've come quite a long way from the days of eating cat food while hiding out in the boulders in Yosemite, I gotta say. 
there is no doubt that the climbing world would look a whole lot different without local climbing organizations like the Southeastern Climbers Coalition and the Carolina Climbers Coalition. So next time you see your LCO's executive director or marketing director, give them a hug, a high five, buy them a coffee or a soda or whatever. Just be sure to show your appreciation. So with that said, I have one item of business here before we get into today's episode. You can show Access Fund some appreciation by throwing them a few bucks their way as well. It's time to join the fight. Everyday cash-ready developers are gobbling up more open spaces. Public lands are under constant threat from industry and damaging extraction. More people are out on the land creating greater impacts and climate change threatens to push everything over the edge. The climbing landscapes that we love are caught in the crossfire. As climbers, we must work together to tackle these big environmental challenges in order to protect the outdoor climbing experiences and the lands that we love. That's why Black Diamond has stepped up to help fund this critical work, matching all donations from climbers like you up to $80,000 to protect the places we climb and ensure equitable and sustainable access for generations to come. Donate now to double your contribution at accessfund.org forward slash donate. That's accessfund.org forward slash D-O-N-A-T-E. I heard a, I heard a story yesterday of uh, like a municipality buying hardware for... Yeah. It was in one of the... Was it B-Rock up in Monterey, Tennessee? Maybe. It's like, oh, the town provides all the hardware for us, so they buy it for... What, I forget what workshop it was in. Hmm. Was it one of the speakers? It was one of the speakers I okay. said it, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one that was. But I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it, it, it really depends. Uh, I've heard of some city governments who recognize outdoor recreation as a valuable resource. Um, and and I forget who said it yesterday, but when you talk to politicians, sometimes you've got to talk in a way that makes sense to them. And a lot of times that way is through dollar signs. Mm-hmm. And if they see dollar signs, they'll give you a lot. They'll invest, uh, they'll support. Um, but but sometimes if, if they don't see that return on investment, they're like, you're not worth my time. Yeah, yeah if you can show the so. economics the positive economics of any kind of yeah project. yeah it was, the, it was the economic impact session yeah um the economic impact of climbing so yeah. yeah that's the language we have to speak yeah in order to be heard uh by uh politicians and and legislature at every level yeah dollars and cents dollars and cents and like the and then the tennessee state Par- or was it tennessee state parks or chattanooga the, one of the first guys that um that spoke in the morning during the intro he was mm-hmm. yeah you know, he was very supportive of all yeah that. he scott he's he's really new i went to his um a welcoming event uh that was kind of the launch of the of the chattanooga office of the outdoors um outdoors and parks i think mm-hmm. um and he's rad. He's he's psyched to come to Chattanooga and sees the potential. And uh, I think, like he was talking about, he's he's essentially rebuilding that department from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was disbanded what nine years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, like a decade. Like he said. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a really cool opportunity, especially in a city like Chattanooga that has so much. Uh, in terms of outdoor recreation resource, mm-hmm. um, it's cool to see the city, like like we said, invest in yeah. in that um, that industry and that community, um, and hopefully uh, make it really accessible to the people who are in the urban centers of Chattanooga, not just the people who have the resources to get out on their own, but right. um, people who maybe have never heard of rock climbing or have never hiked or kayaked before um that's a really valuable quality of living add to people who live in urban centers right make the city a park like you said yeah exactly make the city a park <laughs> yeah good deal well i think this is um this is a number of firsts yeah. first today 
Yeah. <laughs> Number first, uh, I've never recorded an episode at the Crag. We're what? literally, we're literally at the base of Castle Rock. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. That's where, awesome. Where's Castle Rock in comparison to Chattanooga? Uh, Castle Rock is about thirty minutes outside of Chattanooga, so uh, north west of yeah. town but you dip in we dipped into georgia to get here yes shortly uh the highway will take you into georgia for a little bit um where chattanooga sits is so close to the state lines that you can get into alabama and georgia very quickly mm-hmm. uh so the highway takes you down brings you back up into tennessee and you pass through the town of jasper yeah. uh and just north of jasper we're here at castle rock uh and right down the street from us is uh are two other really popular climbing areas, Denny Cove uh, and Foster Falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the concentration of climbing around here is absolutely absurd. Yeah, and, and in terms of what's ac- accessible to the public, uh, what we have access to is is a drop in the bucket. So we're technically at the south end of Sequatchie Valley. Mm-hmm. So just east of us uh, is is kind of where it opens up, and all north of us uh, is just miles and miles, hundreds of miles of cliff line, and the vast majority of it is privately owned. Uh, we have access to Castle Rock here. We have access to Foster Falls and Denny Cove, and then a little bit further up the valley, uh, just north of Dunlap, Tennessee, uh, is uh, Woodcock Cove, which we just purchased recently. Um, and that that's a really critical piece for us because uh, that is the first climbing within Sequatchie Valley proper uh, that we ha- now have public access to. So we're really hoping that that is a foothold to to start building a reputation in the valley uh, with local residents to start garnering uh, trust and build rapport with local residents so that hopefully we can create relationships uh, with them to potentially access the climbing that's on their land. Yeah. yeah well, you guys are on the right track. Before we get into the details and the nitty gritty of uh, how Castle Rock came to be, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and find out a little bit about yourself, Caleb? And yeah, I'm just so psyched to talk to you. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm psyched to talk to you as well. Uh, my name is Caleb Timmerman. I am the marketing director for the Southeastern Climbers Coalition. Also the Chief Stoke Officer. Yes, my self-titled uh, <laughs> name is Chief Stoke Officer. Um, I joined the team in late 2020, early 2021. Um, I have a background in marketing for uh, nonprofits and climbing gyms, so I've kind of been in both of those worlds and now working for the SEC is kind of the combination of those two loves of working for very purposeful work, impactful work that uh, has has meaningful impact on my communities, uh, but then also rock climbing, my interest-based passion. Um, I really love this community and I love the impact that it can have on our outdoor resources. So stoked to be part of the team and uh, yeah, love living in Chattanooga and the Southeast. I think growing up, I just assumed, because I grew up in middle Georgia uh, around a lot of farmland. And my uh, concept that I had built of the Southeast was that it was all farmland. And then uh, when I got into college, I started to learn how much uh, beauty there is to be found in the cliffs and the gorges all over Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um when I told people I was going to Tennessee or I spent time here in the southeast to go rock climbing, they're like, what? Really? There's like no mountain. There's like mountains, but they're not like the mm-hmm. Rocky Mountains, you know? Yeah. Like, well, you don't need like big mountains to go rock climbing. You need like yeah. sizable cliffs and mm-hmm. you're good to go. Yeah. It's world class here. Listen, man, it is all perspective. I have cousins uh, from Florida who come to, to Georgia and Tennessee and, and they call us the mountains. Yeah, right. In, in their mind, like we are mountains right. um and and yeah it really just depends on where you're coming from but there's there's beauty to be found here um and the diversity the diversity of topographic uh texture of these gorges and valleys um there's there's tons of rock just a lifetime's worth of climbing to be done yeah it's awesome well the other first i wanted to mention was uh this is your this was your first route back back into climbing Mm -hmm. since you had an injury last year. Do you want to touch on that a little little bit? I I would love to. Uh, So last year I uh, broke my leg rock climbing. Um, I was bouldering 
and uh, my foot slipped and I fell 20 feet and had an open compound tib fib fracture. Um, so uh, that was last November um, and I just had my one year anniversary uh, doctor's appointment uh, and he put my uh, x-rays side by side and gave me a clean bill of health and I've started to to climb a little bit recently just a little bit of bouldering a little bit of indoor climbing uh, but yeah today was my first outdoor lead uh, which is my true love is is sport climbing um, so getting back on the sharp end uh, was was really special a really cool milestone today that's awesome everyone is rooting for you yes yes felt the love right on <laughs> well yeah like I said uh, we're at Castle Rock we're on day two of the actual Fund, Access Fund's annual conference, a little field trip out to this area, and I was really intrigued by this area and this field trip before you know I left uh, Colorado. I knew I was going to come out here and check it out, and based on the description about this place, it, it was acquired, and not acquired necessarily, but it was protected in a really unique way, really interesting way with a lot of different players. And being from the Western part of the country, like something like this is kind of unheard of. And it's just a really unique model. I mean, there's so many ways to protect climbing areas. And this one was like, really came together in, in yeah, in a really special way. And there's still some, uh, you know, still some question marks, I think, from what I gathered. But I know we're stepping out of your purview a little bit out of communications and marketing. And we're gonna get more into like, the conservation side, but I know you're really well versed in how this came, place came to be. So let's get in the nitty gritty of, uh, of Castle Rock. How did it all, how, how are we here right now? Yeah. So Castle Rock, um, like I said before, is, is just above the town of Jasper. And, uh, we were talking about it this morning that it's, it's interesting how a place like this has a reputation because it's visible from the town down in the valley and, and it's pretty normal and pretty regular for people to just point up and, uh, identify this outcropping of rock and say, oh yeah, that's Castle Rock. So tons of people are very familiar with it. Um, and there's a long history of, of climbing here. Um, a lot of routes were developed in the early 90s, uh, and the climbing access here at the time was was very much just trespassing. People would come up here and either know somebody who knows somebody uh, or have a personal handshake agreement with the landowner or just not, just kind of come up here. Um, I think I was mentioning earlier that that's, that's kind of part of the culture around these parts. Like, you just go play in the woods, and, and if somebody catches you or if somebody's bothered by the fact that you're on their property they'll come and tell you uh and 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 invite you to to get off <laughs> but yeah for for so many years that's just what was done you you saw a rock and if you wanted to climb it you went uh but then in uh 2004 2005 um our uh sec uh brad mcleod uh, and another gentleman came and, and wanted to get a little bit more official access or at least permission from some of the landowners. So they spoke with um, Mrs. Phillips, who uh, owns kind of the lower portion of this bluff and basically got verbal agreement uh, that we could climb here. Um, and that stood as as uh, uh, approval for many years. Uh, but then um, we we lost access for for a while. Um, we they didn't want us climbing here. Mostly her sons, uh, who who also I think own property up here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we we couldn't access this climbing for many years. Um, and then uh, I believe it was 2013 2014. Uh, one of the landowners up top who who owns top access and I think some of the cliff line uh, offered to give the land to Tennessee River Gorge Trust mm -hmm. and Tennessee River Gorge Trust uh, looked into it and discovered that another land trust had been trying to to get this land donated for a long period of time um, so started to work with them uh, and then discovered that there was climbing on the property uh, and reached out to the Southeastern Climbers Coalition um, to come in and, and join the the process of, of acquiring the land. And then the Southeastern Climbers Coalition brought in the Access Fund uh, as experts on uh, 
land law uh, and and helped write a lot of the the agreements, the easements. Um, so this amazing alliance formed uh, to protect the access to this land, um, and everyone had interest. Uh, Tennessee River Gorge Trust and and Land Trust for Tennessee both um, are just powerhouses when it comes to protecting uh, and conserving land in this region. Um, and we're very thankful that we have a good relationship with them. So anytime uh, a piece of land has climbing on it, they, they contact us uh, to come in and, and be part of that process. So that was in 2013, 2014, um, and, and through a long, slow uh, process of creating legal agreements, easements, uh, we were finally able to uh, protect this land. Um, and create an agreement with Miss Phillips for a more official uh, lease of land to use as a parking lot. Um, so kind of the full breakdown of all of that is Tennessee River Gorge Trust owns the climbing itself. Uh, land Trust for Tennessee has an easement with them uh, th for land conservation. On the top of the bluff. On the top of the bluff. Yep. And then the bottom of the bluff uh, is owned by Mrs. Phillips and we lease uh, the parking lot from her in order to access the climbing. So it's a hodgepodge. It's it's very much an intricate tapestry of, of a lot of people coming together. Um, but it's it's creative solution uh, because a lot of land, like I mentioned before, in this region is owned by, by private landowners. Yep. Uh, so a lot of times um, it, it requires creative uh, agreements, um, creative uh, access um, to in order to access these cliffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, it just shows a lot of resiliency of the climbers around here because a lot of patience, a lot of patience, a lot of patience. You know, like like I said earlier, being from Colorado and the Western United States, there's just millions, and millions of acres of public land mm -hmm. that you just yeah, and things can close. There's closures on public land, of course. The federal mm -hmm. land manager can do that if the if the right issues come up, right? But man, this is just a completely different experience out here. Mm -hmm. And like now that I've now that I've interviewed so many people, you know, from from the east, like I get it. But someone can be you know completely ignorant to this and might just you know blow their mind that mm -hmm. access can come and go. Yeah. Because um, access is not permanently memorialized. Where where you could where you access Castle Rock from from Mrs. Phillips' property, right? Yeah, and we were talking about that uh, how because she owns the land, um, and we've learned this before uh, because we've experienced it that any privately owned land at any point could be sold for any reason, um, and access could be taken away. A new the new landowner might not be as friendly or, or amenable to public access. Um, so those are things that we have to think through and prepare for in the future to, to hopefully try to protect that access. And and this was something that I didn't get to mention. A lot of times, it's it's timing, um, and that's why we have to be so, so patient. So many times is uh, the current landowner in a lot of cases might not be amenable, but maybe the next one is. And so a lot of times we'll do our research, we'll be prepared. Uh, we're, we, we really love it when our community makes us aware of any climbing that's uh, available. Um, so that we can, we can research and we can, uh, find out, okay, who owns the land currently? Who owns the land around that land? What's the climbing history? What's the relationship with uh, the landowner currently? So um, a lot of times we'll just, we'll, we'll do our research and bide our time and wait until uh, property either goes up for sale or transitions to a new owner. And, and then we'll, we'll, try to create an opportunity for access mm -hmm. um, and we're pretty shameless we'll, we'll, we'll not be shy uh, about calling people or, or taking a six pack to someone's porch mm -hmm. and just hanging out with them um, Mrs. Phillips is great we, we uh, have met with her multiple times and just sat on her porch um, and, and a lot of that relationship building is what uh, creates the most success uh, when it comes to creating access or gaining access to, to climbing here in the southeast. It's pretty pretty convenient that she just drove right past us when we were hanging out. This I know morning. it's like, so oh, great. There's there she is. Yeah, yeah, the one and only, the legendary Miss Phillips. <laughs> yeah, uh, really psyched that we were able to to see and meet her this morning. Yeah, totally. Um, this is kind of a funny thing. Um, I learned about this little part is you literally send her a text message when you show up. Like here's the make and model of my car. 
car. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many texts she gets a day or over yeah, the course of the in, weekend. In season, she gets a lot. This is a very popular climbing area. Um, her phone number is on the kiosk in the parking lot, and it's considered best practice to, when you park, text her, let her know that you're there. Um, and let her know the make and model of your car and uh, be out by sunset. And she always texts back. Every time I climb here, she always texts back. Nice. Says, hey, have fun, be safe, uh, be out by dark, and, and no dogs allowed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, so you talked about this a little bit uh, earlier when we were circled up this morning about the outdoor recreation statute that the state of Tennessee has. And many other states have these things that protect landowners. So are you able to expand on that a little bit just in case there are other folks that actually don't know about this? Absolutely. Yeah, we're very lucky that in the state of Tennessee, uh, there is a state law that's uh, that protects private landowners uh, from liability if somebody were to be injured on their property recreating. So the the long and short of it is that um, if someone is on your property. Uh, either hiking or climbing, uh, and they have a lot of other specific examples, but um, if you were to be injured or hurt, uh, the landowner is protected, uh, which has helped us gain access to a lot of climbing in the Southeast, or in Tennessee specifically, um, because that's a question that we get a lot is, is uh, well, what happens if someone gets an injury while they're climbing, doing this danger- dangerous thing on my property? And we can tell them uh, that they're protected under state law. When this, uh, well, I guess any acquisition from the SEC, do you have one person focused on these projects? Do you have a conservation director or does this fall under the responsibility of the executive director? It is typically led by the executive director, but we actually have an acquisitions committee. Um, so we we have that committee that focuses specifically on um, acquiring land uh, and um, Anytime something either goes up for sale or or an opportunity for access is is opened up, that committee is is dedicated to um, creating that access or, or sourcing whatever resources we need to, to acquire that land. Mm-hmm. Well, several of the models I've seen before, practices that I've seen before for acquisitions on private land, um, particularly in the East, the local climate organization might have to purchase it. Mm-hmm. That was not the case in this example. For sure. SEC was not the landowner, they're not the easement holder either. So that's between the Tennessee River Gorge Trust, Miss Phillips and everything. Mm-hmm. What is the SCC's role now? And you're the area rep for this, for Castle Rock too. So where does the SCC fit in? You called them kind of the glue between all these partners earlier. So how, yeah, what's your guys' component? Yeah, as, as uh, I would call us the primary user group of this land. Um, Tennessee River Gorge Trust and Land Trust for Tennessee definitely have an interest in the the biological resources. Um, as as Rick was saying this morning, the the timber rights, the mineral rights. Um, but climbers are definitely out here most often mm-hmm. to to take advantage of these really uh, sick climbs on this cliff behind <laughs> me. Um, so as the primary user group, we uh, are around it most often. So we are able to communicate with Tennessee River Gorge Trust, Land Trust for Tennessee, um, and let them know if anything's going on. Uh, a great example of this is uh, in 2020, uh, a peregrine falcon was spotted here on the cliff, which is pretty rare for this area. Uh, we don't have many peregrine falcons in this region. Uh, so we were able to notify the, the Tennessee River Gorge Trust, who then was able to help us create a plan for um, closing down part of the climbing area uh, and setting up, uh, uh, observing the peregrine uh, and, and just making sure that it was kept safe uh, from disturbance. Um, but that was that was a really cool opportunity that we had that we'd never done before. We'd never had a peregrine sighting on any of our climbing areas. So it was cool to to kind of work with them and work alongside them and learn a lot from them uh, when it comes to uh, creating a cr- protecting a biological resource like a peregrine or an endangered species. Um, other than that, uh, aside from being the primary user group, we pay the lease on the parking lot um, and then uh, are also a point of communication between TRGT and Miss Phillips. So, yeah, I think I would say that we're the glue that uh, keeps keeps all the relationships together, even though we don't own the property uh, as as stakeholders in the resource. We um, 
we like to, to help all parties uh, stay connected and, and communication uh, regularly uh, kept alive between the climbing community and the and the landowners here in this region. Yeah. Any st- trail stewardship work or anything like that planned for all the, the future? Time. Yeah. 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 So as area rep, I uh, try to keep uh, up to date on how our staircases are doing, how the trails are doing, how the lands, landing zones are doing, um, or the belay stations, I should say, uh, the condition of our bolts up here, um, and any time we need to uh, repair anything, we, we set up a trail day. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right on. I want to go back to something we talked about just a minute ago about the lease and the recreational use statute and everything. Um, yeah private landowners are protected under that statute however if they're charging money a fee to get in that might negate that protection how how is a lease on the parking lot excluded from that because she's still protected right but but you do pay her a, a, a nominal fee or whatever to lease the parking lot yeah so those don't those don't negate each other yeah, that's a great question. Um, like I said before, she does not own the climbing. She owns the the land and the bluff leading up to it. Yep. Um, so I, I believe, uh, and, and we were talking about this this morning as well, um, she is still protected even if someone were to be injured hiking up to the climbing. Um, in order to uh, prove... Uh, that someone is liable, you have to prove gross negligence. Uh, so the example that we used was, for for example, if there was an old mining shaft uh, on or near the trail, uh, and she had been notified uh, multiple times but did nothing about it, that would prove gross negligence. Um, but other than that, uh, she she as a landowner is protected. Yeah, good. Well, Tennessee, I think, overshadows the other two states that the SEC has jurisdiction in, for the lack of a better term, Alabama mm-hmm. and Georgia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to give all the, all the spotlights just to Tennessee because there's a lot more going on mm-hmm. within your organization. So, a couple quick hits or highlights for those other two states that you want to mention? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, we, we love Alabama and Georgia. There's some incredible world-class uh, climbing resources there as well. Um, we've been working really hard in Alabama uh, and have really great recent success with their park system uh, so we're trying to open up uh, some more climbing within state parks within county parks um, we recently were able to just create an agreement with Nakalula Falls uh, which is a really beautiful uh, climbing area close to one of our other bouldering spots in Gadsden um, and yeah we're, we're constantly in communication with uh, the park system with private landowners trying to work on more access there because just like this this region of Tennessee, northern Alabama has a ton of climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on climbing access near Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so our executive director actually lives in Birmingham, and she has a really uh, good connection with the community there. So uh, trying to create more access within that northern Alabama region for sure. Uh, and then in Georgia, uh, we are putting a lot of energy into working with Tallulah Gorge State Park. Um, our area rep there, Wes Whitaker, he has been working really hard for the past couple of years to improve access there. So currently, the way that it works is you have to get a permit from the park system. Uh, you have to go to the, the informational center and get that permit. Uh, but they're pretty inconsistent with getting... Uh, giving those permits out. Mm. Um, They are really worried about liability. Um, They're really worried about rescues uh, and access to that area. So we're working hard with them to educate them on what stable conditions are good for climbing because that that's what we get most often is they uh, will not give out permits if it's rained recently um, but then with the rescue uh, situation as well we're trying to work with the local search and rescue uh, to educate them on on best ways to to um, prepare for rescues if that is necessary mm-hmm. um, so we're excited about that project Tallulah Gorge is uh, a stunning uh climbing area with with some multi-pitch trad climbing which is pretty rare for georgia um but yeah we're really excited about that project as well good good you guys are crushing it i think one of the more maybe well-known lcos in the country i mean 
got a lot of a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to add? I mean, what, what's been the most exciting thing for you for uh, for bringing the annual conference to Chattanooga this year? Ooh, man. Um, I think the the biggest thing for me is is putting into spotlight the climbing community here in the southeast. Uh, that's that's a big part of what motivates me and my work uh, as marketing director is making sure that our community uh, gets the love that it deserves, um, whether that's events uh, or or community gatherings of any kind. Um, it's really important for us, especially post COVID to, to gather together, um, and celebrate the thing that we love, uh, which is rock climbing and, and getting together. So, um, it's really cool to have the opportunity to show other LCOs from all over the country who have come here, what our community looks like, um, the stoke that we have, uh, the, the climbing resources that we have, um, and just how special it is to, to be a climber in the South. Yeah, this is special. I'm incredibly grateful to have this opportunity to travel here to meet with people like you and meet so many people I've had on the show before. And mm-hmm. it's been it's been my favorite conference so far. Right on. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's Killer. awesome. Right on, man. Well, thanks so much for sitting down for a little bit. Let's get back to climbing, huh? Thank you, sir. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. I hope you enjoyed that talk with Caleb and appreciated that story behind Castle Rock as much as I did. Mike Rudin is up next. Enjoy. All right. Well, how was your day today out at Denny Cove? Oh, I had an awesome day, Denny Cove. It was a little, little chilly, but got some good climbing in and, and more importantly, had the, the, the great story of, of Denny Cove, the acquisition, um, state park officials, all of the above. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was neat to, neat to hear how the South, Southeastern Climbers Coalition and Access Fund worked together with uh, South Cumberland State Park to to make that happen, and then, and then we got to explore it. Mm-hmm. So. I know We've, I've heard so many unique stories, you know, about acquisition um, over this weekend. Yeah. And um, I, I mentioned I had Caleb on uh, earlier, and you know, I, like this is stuff that I don't have to deal with really out west, and it's just so. Um, I'm so proud that we can accomplish something like this. The climbers can do something like this, whether we're in D.C. or working with local land managers and, and private landowners and stuff. Just the, the models and the avenues we can take to make this stuff happen is just, I think it's remarkable. Yeah, and just the amount of um, private land and, and acquisition possibilities, I think, on the East Coast. There's, there, are, there, there are just so many possibilities. And now we have a great track record um, uh, of LCOs and the Access Fund working together in order to, to save these places and opening, save them for conservation, but also open them for climbing. Right, right. The climbing world would look a lot different without the, Carolinas Clim- the Carolina Climbers Coalition, the Access Fund. I mean, we'd have a whole different um, yeah, world out there of climbing. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah, totally. We kind of jumped right in and I didn't take a chance to introduce yourself. Um, Mike Reardon, uh, Carolina Climbers Coalition. Yeah, tell us a bit about yourself and maybe how you got into climbing and your experience climbing in the Carolinas. Sure. Yeah. Um, Mike Reardon with the Carolina Climbers Coalition. I'm their uh, executive director um, and really excited to serve in that role. Um, I started climbing in the Carolinas. It was about 2002 or so. And um, mainly out at Rumbling Bald and kind of learning, uh, learning traditional climbing and, um, and what that's like. And then in that process, um, I started noticing like routes that were going up that were not necessarily in the guidebook or people didn't know what they were and and they and someone saying like oh yeah that route went up uh this past year and i I realized that climbing is like is a is a creative process and and people are are constantly adding great physical puzzles for us to figure out um all, all over different cliffs and um yeah and and i guess the culture around rolling ball kind of kind of taught me that and showed me that um at that same time um kind of early 2000s was when um the carolina climbers coalition purchased laurel knob which is the tallest uh rock face in the east coast um it's 1200 feet tall and um seven to eight pitches in different times and and holy cow the climbers own it um and what a cool thing that was and so that really left an impression with me um, both the kind of creative side and then also the, the land conservation side. So I, I started volunteering a lot with with the CCC um, and then 
um, joined the board of the CCC in about 2010. Um, and then I was on the board as a, as a regional representative for areas like Rumley Bald, and we've, we've focused on a lot of, um, a lot of trail work, uh, a lot of working with land managers, but then um, we started working with different, um, different partners like Conserving Carolina and Chimney Rock State Park to open up new climbing areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that included uh, Eagle Rock was something I really worked on uh, and um, Little Bear Wallow Falls. But, so working with that and, and kind of learning how to open new climbing areas was also exciting. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, we, as a board, got to the point where uh, it was unsustainable for us to just continue with volunteers because we're, we were doing so much and we had owned at that point um, four different properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our board said that they were going to hire an executive director and, um, and I decided to apply. I said, I can't, I'm out of this conversation cause I'm applying and, um, got the job and here I am. Right. Um, so 20, 2019 is when I started as full, full-time, um, employee of the CCC. And that was the first one, first ED ever. Correct. Yeah. yeah for the organization. Yep. For the organization. We're, uh, 1995 is when we were founded. So we, we made it a long time, mm-hmm. just volunteers. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot to be an executive director. I mean, you're, you're a fundraiser, you're, um, you're a conservation director, you know, or you could be at least, I mean, what was that motivation for you to transfer from transition from the board into the ED role? One, I, I just, I felt like I had all the, uh, some of the right connections and some of the right experience from the volunteer end, but then also just um, the passion for seeing how how many voids we were yet to fill um, and how how much potential there was out there. Like we were just tapping the surface, you know. We're, and currently, still, you know, we're just we're just just making headway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's really exciting. It, you know, it's still the creative process of, of figuring out these different lands that we can work with and different land managers to either sometimes purchase properties or um, or work with land managers to open new areas on in a sustainable way yeah um, and then working with communities in order to make that happen you know I got the impression uh, from your presentation yesterday that you've conserved areas in the past that didn't have any climbing at them yet they were still yet to be developed. Did I understand that correctly? Like you, I uh, forget what place it was in maybe South Carolina. There maybe there wasn't much climbing yet, if any. And then you conserved it. And then you did like a survey, maybe that looked at is it can rock climbing happen here? Am I on the right track or? Um, yes, but but wrong state. Wrong state. So <laughs> yeah. north. Yeah. Uh, so no, actually, um, in Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, yeah, it was just over the state line, about thirty-five minutes north of Asheville, is a state park, newly formed state park called Rocky Fork State Park. That's what it was. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and Rocky Fork. Um, we started looking at it, it must have been 2018-ish, 2019. Um, you can actually see the rock right from the highway, right from 26. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a gleaming white 200-foot chunk of um, quartzite. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called the White House Cliffs. And in order to open it, we hired a biologist first before deciding on if this should be a climbing area or not um, to do a um, biological survey of the cliff and um, and it, it was good the survey one it, it showed us okay there there were some sensitive species um, but most of them were around the cliff tops um, so we worked with the um, Rocky Fork State Park to develop a climbing policy that is just a no top out and no top rope policy That's right. so you you essentially have to lead from the ground um, and so now at the time there were were one or two remnants of routes that we could see like old um, rusted pitons okay. in, in the rock mm-hmm. um, but now there are about 60 routes and that's been in the last couple of years mm-hmm. um, and you know anywhere from 50 feet to 200 feet and um, just nice quartzite features Is so. it bolt, bolted or more of a gear climb um it it kind of following in the tradition is is essentially if the rock gives you natural protection that you can take out then you use that natural protection right. um if the rock doesn't give you that then there's there's a there's a bolt okay. um and that that's how most of or pretty much all of uh rocky fork has been developed okay. um 
So there are some pure sport climbs, but only because the rock didn't give anything. <laughs> was that when you were ED already, or is that, was that an older one when you were still on the board? Yeah, that was one of my first kind of state park acquisitions as ED. Got it. What else was on your plate when you first uh, made that transition to the executive director role? We, we had just purchased Buckeye Knob um, and, and worked out easements for the barn boulders, which is a beautiful boulder field in Watauga County near Boone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were paying that off at the time. So a lot of what was on my plate was, one, we had a big loan to pay off. We also had to build a 1.2 mile trail and then also build a parking lot and get all those things funded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work, and by say by me saying on my plate, I also mean our board because it's not just not plate, just yeah. me, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, not just me by any any means whatsoever. It takes a village to do this stuff. So, right, it does. So the board and I <clears throat> worked hard to build all that stuff and and we're now paid off we got we got a beautiful trail we got a parking lot all right new climbing area conserved great how many uh how many hours does that take how did you how did that stewardship work um come together for you um oh boy at least a couple thousand hours of of work but um that was also the access fund conservation crew we hired them for a time um to come out and help help build it but it was a lot of a lot of volunteer work too Um, our recreational trails program grant um, helped pay. We we got the grant, but we used the grant to hire the Access Fund conservation team. Got it. Got it. Um, we on the on the drive back to the to the hotel here from where we were just climbing at. Uh, we were talking about your, your conservation team, the C4 team. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit and how that got formed? Yeah, yeah. It's a really neat model and. Um, I encourage any LCO to do it. <laughs> um, so basically, we have a trail. We have two employees currently on our C4 trail team. C4 stands for the Carolina Climbers Conservation Corp. Okay, I was wondering what the yeah, what yeah. The C4. <laughs> after after the Civilian Conservation Corp right, from right. the um, FDR era. FDR era. So we, we paid homage to them, um, and the way that that uh, the C4 team was formed was. We had, um, we were working with Table Rock State Park, South Carolina, to open the Pumpkin Town Wall, um, a beautiful 300-foot wall of granite with just, just such fun climbing, um, and uh, it was another one that was very limited development at the time. Um, but the, from the parking lot to the base of the first first wall area is about two miles, um, so. There was no trail at the time, and our task in opening this to the public and having the state park say yes um, was to build a sustainable trail that was to state park standards um, from the parking lot to the base of the wall. Mm-hmm. And Table Rock State Park worked really well with us, and we worked really well with them, I think, um, in order to to build that out. But at the same time, we knew that we couldn't just do it with volunteers. Um, it's just, that's beyond a volunteer task. Right. Um, it, we knew we needed a crew of people that were out there working every day, um, or at least three to four days per week mm-hmm. for about a six month time period is what we expected that that trail would take. Yeah. And that's about, about what it took. Um, so we formed the C4 crew and at the time we realized that you know we didn't we just paid off buckeye knob um so that was an acquisition that we were able to fund thanks to the climbing community and many many great partnering organizations that support us and um we realized you know we should look at this pumpkin town trail just like an acquisition you know just like purchasing a land because this is look what it's going to open up you know and um and so uh, COVID just hit. Unemployment was was rampant. You know, everyone was getting laid off. Right. And we realized too that we could fill that niche by hiring a bunch of people that were unemployed um, to to build this trail. Mm-hmm. So we fundraised for it, and we started the C4 program with um, with eight folks. Um, and then when we f- and knowing or thinking that that was just going to be about a four to six month time period. Um, and it was for most of them, um, except now now we're now we're at two, which is a really nice sustainable number for us. Um, 
And we finished the Pumpkin Town Trail. Um, we now have the South Carolina Climbers Festival, um, December 3rd to 4th. Right. And uh, we have it every year, though. Um, and it uh, celebrates kind of the opening of the Pumpkin Town Wall and, um, and, and also Table Rock State Park. Yeah. And it's been fun. Dane and Dan are our current C4 um, tr- uh, trail workers, and I and I bet they were out working today, mm-hmm. you know, because um, now we're working to build new trail to a new boulder field and cliff face in Lake Lure. Um, and so it, it also gives us the confidence to go to municipalities, go to state parks and say, hey, you know, we have this new resource mm-hmm. or, or discovered this, this resource. And... Um, we would love to bring people there and do it in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. So as long as we can keep it funded, we're, yeah. we're keeping it going. We're, we're keeping it going. <laughs> how, how much do you lean on previous um, successes like that when you're talking about a new resource with a, with a state park or something or any other land manager? Like, hey, look what we've done before. We can do the same kind of thing here. Oh, yeah, it's a snowball. Yeah, yeah I, it, one success builds on another. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely... Um, I think it's reassuring to land managers and also private landowners or municipalities um, or national forests even that we work with Mm -hmm. um, that it's not our first time doing it and that we've worked with others before so one um, one success builds on another and um, yeah yeah I think that helps their comfort level yeah of course Um, and neat back to pumpkin town and the start a C4, it was neat to work with um, South Carolina State Parks there because they had a trail specialist that would come and inspect our work each um, after we finished X amount of feet, it was a couple thousand feet of trail work, he would come and inspect it, approve it, and then we would move on and keep building, almost like a um, how you build a house and you'd get your, your permitting done mm-hmm. as you went. Right. Um, so we were able to learn a lot from them about sustainable trail design yeah. um, and and now we use that those skills you know for all of our projects you mentioned laurel knob earlier and i really wanted to touch on this project this acquisition that happened um back in the mid 2000s i think you mentioned like 2006 or something yeah 2006 um, you know i just read james maple james maple's book on the red river gorge i know you bought it um this weekend from him and he talks about this really pivotal moment in the in red river gorge um, climbing history when um there's an archaeological dig at the military wall and that kind of sparks some ideas with the climbers there that hey if we can start buying our own property you know we we can we can keep things open and not have to face closures and stuff like that i mean so with this purchase of laurel knob were you guys in the same kind of mentality or did that really you weren't really like butting heads with land managers but purchasing this property did that put you on a, on a tra- uh, trajectory to keep buying more and kind of follow that same kind of model like hey if we buy more property we can keep these things open at a sustainable rate yeah 2006 um the I wasn't on the board. I, I had volunteered some with the CCC, but that was it. Right. Um, but at the time, um, it, it was almost unheard of for a LCO to purchase purchase land. I think SCC had that year or the year before had just purchased. Um, maybe it was Boat Rock. I might have the history wrong there, okay. but I think it was Boat Rock. Um, and uh, and so this idea of climbers owning land for climbing, you know, and Laurel Knob really, in my mind, put that on the map um, because Laurel Knob is the tallest um, cliff face in Eastern America. Yeah. You know, it's from the base of the routes to the top of the routes is 1,200 feet of climbing. Um, and holy cow, climbers now own it. And, and in 2006, um, it was up for sale for 250000 um, or, or I should say the CCC purchased it for 250000 It wasn't necessarily up for sale. Mm-hmm. The um, president and a climber slash um, conservationist real estate man named John Myers um, worked out 
essentially the deal with the different landowners um, in order to convince them that it was a great idea. Uh, and it was. <laughs> so, um, How big was the acreage wise? How big was it? Um, I, th- I think it's 60 something acres. Um, and most of it is the rock. That's how big the rock is. I know. I've seen, I've seen, doesn't it, doesn't it uh, don the cover of, of a book out there? I think it's like a I forget. The Access Fund sells a book, I think. Oh yeah, and they're yeah. on their in their store, and I think it's got Laurel Knob on the cover. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah uh, for, it's called Forbidden Fruit. That's um, it. The the climbing history of Laurel Knob, mm-hmm. and um, it's by Mike Fishesher. It's a it's a beautiful book. It's like a coffee table book telling yeah. the story basically yeah. of that. And holy cow, documentary maker! Somebody needs to make a documentary about Laurel Knob and the acquisition. Well, that'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put a little plug in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did the did the acquisitions kind of take off from there? Um, how did how did that springboard the organization into being a landowner? Yeah. Um, then so that was two thousand six, two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. They uh, got. Um, I think a lot of momentum and confidence and um, were given donations from all seven continents um, in order really? to purchase this. So <laughs> it made it made some some big news. I don't know how. Yeah. Uh, how all that came to fruition all at once. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but then uh, 2009, we purchased uh, the Rumbling Bald West Side Boulders. Um, and and that was super important timing um there was a housing development that kind of butted up right to the west west side boulder so now um you know rumbling bald has over 2,000 boulder problems and is probably one of the most popular um climbing areas roped climbing and and bouldering but bouldering has become more popular there (laughs) uh probably than rope climbing but um the uh, bouldering at Rumbling Bald, there's over 2,000 problems, and, and probably the most heavy hit, busiest ones um, are, are in the land that we own. But now that people, when people go there, it feels like you're all in Chimney Rock State Park, but mm-hmm. the six acre boulder field is, is still ours. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good segue into the most recent acquisition for the organization, the Maybauer Boulders, South Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, I, I, know. Keep, <laughs> I keep getting those flipped around. I, I was like, no, it's in South Carolina. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a new one for you guys. How did that all come to fruition for you? Yeah, the um, it, it's it's so neat. Um, the It's in Alexander County. So there is a one climbing area near it called the Rocky Face Recreation Park, and it's um, kind of a, a bolted quarry, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there's just no climbing within like a uh, hour plus circle of the Maybauer boulders. So so this kind of, it, it serves a good community and it's in um, sort of a, a climbing desert, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, that you makes sense. Deserts, yeah, yeah deserts, exactly. Um, for North Carolina. Um, but it is a, um, it's a sweet boulder field that is really kind of densely packed with quality boulder problems there's mm-hmm. there's not a ton of them there's maybe maybe 15 boulders and a couple 100 maybe 120 problems something like that um, but all just really densely packed and um, easy approach especially from North Carolina standards we're, we're used to hiking 45 minutes at least yeah what's, what's considered an easy approach <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's flattish and uh um yeah yeah so it we thanks to um triple crown bouldering series jim horton and also a local surveyor named steve pope um they kind of put it on our radar about a year ago that um um carl hesse the landowner um was likely selling it Mm -hmm. and um People have been climbing there since about the 90s, and and a lot of the folks that have gone out have gotten permission from Carl, the landowner, um, and uh, um, and parked there on the, kind of the side of the road and kind of knew their the the way in, so to speak, and um, and a lot of our North Carolina climbing history names that folks know um, have have climbed there because it's it's just a great quality small boulder field Mm -hmm. um so um jim and steve kind of put it on our radar and um we started talking to the landowner and and 
he said, yeah, you know, I'm getting up, getting ready to sell the property and I'd, I'd love to sell it to you all. And um, it was a hundred acres, but we were able to um, s- subdivide it down to 32 acres um, just, just in order to, uh, so Carl could keep some, and then also we could have some for conservation and, and recreation. Because um, you, you didn't need all 100 acres. We didn't need it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it may be something that we work with some other land conservancies in the future to, to expand the kind of recreational assets. Okay. But as far as the, uh, um, the climbing goes, we just needed, needed about 30. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, this summer we closed on it thanks to a access fund conservation loan. Um, so this is now our fifth property. I think I didn't mention Hidden Valley, Virginia is our other property that we own. Um, and for all of those properties, we've gotten conservation loans um, through the access fund. And how does that? We've talked about it on the show before, but how does that program work? Um, we start a conversation um, with. Um, access fund lands directors and um, let them know that we're thinking about it and then essentially once we're close enough to knowing that we're about to make an offer and sign a contract Mm -hmm. um, then we also work with the lands director on an application for the for the loan Mm -hmm. Um, and so access fund gives us a a loan once they once they say yes (laughs) and uh, and then it's it's interest free for a year, um, and then it's it's low interest for a couple of years after that. Interest free for the first year. Yeah. That's one part I did not know. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So we are interest free up until I think it's June, 2023. Um, so if anyone out there cares about climbing in North Carolina um, and and wants to wants to help us out with the loan, uh, CarolinaClimbers.org/slash/Maybauer. And that's where you can help contribute. Is the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so with that loan program, does it uh, does it come with any kind of additional protections, like a conservation easement or anything like that? No, it is. Um, if a conservation easement is is needed, it's a, it's an option. Um, we we just haven't done that yet with any of our lands. Um, We have done recreational easements with adjacent property owners to us, um, but we haven't done conservation easements yet on our properties with the access fund, but the access fund does have the ability to do that, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, totally. As an accredited land trust, yeah, they're, yeah. a certified uh, organization to hold conservation easements. Yep. Yeah, which, which I think they probably prefer to do instead of uh, holding the title to a property. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, how like a stewardship endowment is that uh, calculated into the cost of the property or with the loan program? Uh, yeah. Yep. So we we basically came up with a full project budget for Maybauer. So that means the loan parking. Um, stewardship and trails, um, a, a longer term stewardship maintenance fund, um, and then any legal fees associated. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we've raised enough and have already built a parking lot. Um, it's done, which right. is amazing. Uh, it, it took us about two months from closing to have a finished parking lot. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah, 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 it's fast. And now we're working on um, on the trails and landings. Um, just the way the boulders are situated, like um, we had felt that if, since we, there's definitely gonna be more traffic out there, and if we just left it as is, um, it would get eroded and it, um, you know tree roots would come up and so on. So we've tried to fortify um, many of the bases and um, just w- work on the, on the actual approaches because sometimes the where the landings are or how you walk from the main trail up to the boulders um, just needs steps and there's tons of stone to work with out there so we we build a lot of stone retaining walls and and steps and so on yeah yeah I was curious um now that it's protected and and protected in perpetuity I mean you, you'd think and um, yeah what's next for the property now you have to take care of it right now that you're the owners of it so what's uh, what's in the docket to yeah start to start kicking the stewardship stuff off yeah yeah it's, it's just getting volunteers out there to help us and uh, actually um, triangle rock club is is coming out on Monday and helping us they're, they're a, a regional gym um, and 
it, it's it's really neat to have a gym involved in the stewardship element um, but um, they're also doing a matching donation to um, anyone that donates um, all the way up to $10,000 TRC is matching it. All right. um, so yeah, what's next is basically um, finishing a lot of our stewardship work there and, and basically that means retaining walls. Um, there were a ton of downed trees on top of the boulders that totally shut the boulders down. Um, so we've cleared those now. Um, so hopefully nothing else will fall down <laughs> but um the area is high it gets high wind sometimes so yeah um yeah uh retaining walls and steps um are our big stewardship stuff great great well i asked caleb this uh last question um to him earlier like what's what's been the most exciting thing for you to to meet up in chattanooga with uh, all these like-minded advocates and climbers from around the country oh um yeah seeing people in person mm-hmm. it's great yeah because the access fund and and climbers anywhere should know this like the access fund works so closely with lcos with local climbing organizations and like i'm in meetings with the access fund staff and and so on on a regular basis but it's usually zoom meetings and we we're across the country from each other so um what's so neat about something like this is um we all get together and we share our stories and we climb together and we share meals and cheers cheers over all of the successes so yeah yeah it's been so good to connect with people like you all right thanks everyone for tuning in i i really hope you all enjoy this show as much as i enjoy making it it's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to so thanks so much for listening before you depart i want to run a few things by you i started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year and of course to support the mission of access fund so i'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet become a member of access fund your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving stewarding and advocating for climbing there are varying levels that you can that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.